0: Emperor, we come for you. And we are back for another episode of the Fusion Underground. This is episode 71 of the Fusion Underground. And what we do here is we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. Our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. As always, I'm your host, Manuel Ramirez. And this week, this week, ladies and gentlemen, I am not joined in the virtual studio by my wonderful brother, Jason Moret. He is out this week. He's been battling some kind of a bug. And so it is just me. We did not want to push off another week. So we wanted to get one in the books. Last week we had some scheduling conflicts. So we um, we skipped last week. My apologies for that. But this week you get to listen to me. I know, I promise it will not be as funny. <laughs> It is not going to be as funny. My apologies for that. Hey, I'm just not as funny as Jason. I admit, I admit my, my shortcomings. I admit that very much so. Um, But I do miss him. And uh, I hope you join with me in in wishing him a, a speedy recovery for whatever it is that he has. Fear not. It is not COVID. It is not COVID related. Something to do with the lower bowels, from what I understand, some kind of stomach ailment or something along those lines. <clears throat> See, I can talk about him because he's not here. He's not here to actually defend himself. So I can make up all kinds of craziness about why he's actually out. So I do believe he is salad shooting into his toilet bowl as we speak. But he will he will likely be back next week and he will be able to refute all of those, all of those particular claims. So You know, I've got to do a couple of things here. Normally, normally, the way things go here is I can get everything started and I can hit the record button. And uh, once we get through that opening sound, I can say a couple of words and then I can usually hand it off to Jason, who can run with it a couple of minutes, run with uh, saying things while I get other things prepped on my side. And as you can see, well, that's just. uh, that's just not happening. So here I am now. Now you can see me all in my glory. If you're watching uh, watching the video feed, remember we're on BitChute now. So we got away from um, from YouTube. So we're totally expecting to. I don't know if to get canceled or anything like that. Uh, that's not really why we're doing it. But, but we do recognize that YouTube doesn't really align with um, with what. Well, typically, well, I mean, let's be honest. They don't really align with our with our values and principles in terms of speaking our minds and just trying to think things through. Uh, they tend to be an echo chamber. So we're trying to get off of off of YouTube. If you got if you're catching us through Facebook, uh, I, I obviously I, I put the links out there from Facebook directly to our webpage out there at fusionunderground.net. So if you're using Facebook to capture, to get uh, access to all of our content, um, you shouldn't have a problem getting access to any of our videos. It's just a completely different link, but it's embedded in the exact same way. The problem with BitChute is it takes a little bit longer for it to upload to the uh, to the interwebs. Because by the time it's ha- it has to upload and then it has to do this processing phase. And I have noticed that videos do tend to take a little bit longer to process. And by a little bit, I mean like an hour and a half longer to process, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, either way, you get the content uh, and you get to make fun of us and um, think about how everything we're doing is, is absolutely wrong. So what are we going to talk about on the, on the show today? Like I said, it's just me here running, keeping the fort down. Um, one of the, the thing that I wanted to talk about today is it has to deal with, well, it has to deal with a lot with our youth, with kids growing up today. And, um, you know, we have a lot of people, I see this all the time online, especially on social media, we've got a lot of people in our culture and our society that are, they're very afraid of the world. And uh, these tend to be younger folks, but it's starting to bleed into the older, to the older folks, folks who are around my age. And, um, and that's, that's kind of frightening. I find it to be particularly frightening, and I find it to be a very um, difficult way of living life, being afraid of everything and thinking that the world needs to be safe for you to exist in it. And by safe, I mean everything has to align with your way of thinking, with your thoughts, your, your belief systems, um, your political viewpoints. Uh, everything that you feel to be safe now the problem with that is if the world is supposed to align themselves with what makes you safe then the world needs to understand what your rules are and while that might be that might seem to be perfectly acceptable at an individual level how do you do that among a population of over 300 million people in the united states everybody is going to have a slightly different rule set and you cannot order society around 300 million different rules. You just can't do it. So we're gonna get into that here on the show. I don't have a palette cleanser because usually the purpose of a palette cleanser is really to bounce those ideas off of Jason and get one of, her, one of the two of us laughing. So I don't have anything, although I do have some content uh, set asides for next week. So when we get together next week, uh, I'll be able to play that content uh, and we'll talk about it and we'll have fun with that with that particular content. So um, in the meantime, let's just go ahead and, uh, and talk about this particular uh, this particular topic. So one of the one of the things that I that I saw here, this comes this is an, a news article, and I'm going to read some of this for you here. This comes from the Oberlin Review. So um, you know, the University, Oberlin, um, Oberlin College, or whatever it's called here, but this is uh, this is an article that was written by a gentleman by the name of Peter Frey Witzer over at the Oberlin Review. And the title of this particular article is male workers allowed into Baldwin unsettling residents. Let me repeat that male workers allowed into Baldwin unsettling residents. You might think, well, what, is, you know, what's, what's happening there. It sounds terrible, right? It sounds terrible. It sounds a little weird. Male workers, well, what kind of workers? Were they accidentally allowed into Baldwin? What is Baldwin? Turns out Baldwin is a, uh, is an on-campus dorm, dormitory area, I guess, where students live. And, but apparently these male workers were allowed in and it unsettled some of the residents. So let me read some of this. This is on October 7th, residents of Baldwin Cottage received an email from Josh Matos, the area coordinator for multicultural and identity-based communities. Matos. I don't actually know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm really terrible at pronouncing names. M a t o s. I don't know if it's Matos, Matos. I don't know. Um, my apologies to Josh here. I'm just going with what I think, how I think it's pronounced. Uh, no, you know, I'm not trying <laughs> to offend uh, by mispronouncing. If I mispronounce the name, it's not, it's not intentional. I'm not trying to offend anybody here. Anyway, the the article continues. So according to this email from Josh, the email read, quote, I am reaching out to you to give you an update on the radiator project, Matos wrote, starting tomorrow, Friday, 10 eight, the contractors will be entering rooms between 10 a.m. and 8 p.m. to install the radiators. This will mean that they will be in your room for a period of time to complete the work. Okay, no problem. So there's radiators that need to be installed. Okay. Now, for those folks who live like in the Southwest, where we have sunlight, we have a tremendous amount of heat all the time. Um, a radiator is one of these things where they pipe in hot water and it radiates heat into a room. It helps keep the rooms warm. For those of you who did not know, uh, I'm not talking to people who are on the East Coast or in the, the tundra up north. These are folks for, you know, like in Phoenix or Los Angeles, you know, have no idea they the only concept of a radiator is what's installed in a vehicle. So uh, the writer of this article continues, he says, I had not been contacted about any sort of radiator installation before this email. So right away, the word update stood out to me as untrue, untrue. I grew concerned reading the second line, which informed me that I had less than 24 hours to prepare for the arrival of the installation crew. And I was further perturbed by the ambiguous for a period of time. So already we can see that this individual is very, very unsettled by what's happening. There's a lot of anxiety already underway, right? So at the the very first sentence of this, of this uh, paragraph, the word update stood out to him as being untrue. That's a, that's a very nice way of saying you're lying. You didn't, up, you know, you didn't contact me ahead of time. Well, maybe, maybe Josh Matos, or maybe, maybe he did, maybe he, Delegated that off to uh, to another person there at Oberlin. Maybe it didn't come in the form of an email. Maybe it came in the form of a voicemail or flyers posted uh, throughout the dormitories or throughout campus. Who knows? I don't know. Um, apparently, this person isn't aware of it either. Or maybe it did come through in an email, but it went into the junk folder of this person's email account. Who knows? We don't. We don't under. We don't know actually what happened we don't josh here who uh you know the email originated from we don't have their side of the story the uh, article goes on in general i am very averse to people entering my personal space well aren't we all this anxiety was compounded by the fact that the crew would be strangers and they were more than likely to be cisgender men. Now, here's here's where things really start to go off the rails. I think things started going off the rails a little bit in the, in the prior paragraph, but in this third paragraph, this anxiety was compounded by the fact. Anxiety. Anxiety for what? That people are going to be entering into your personal space? Well, I have news for you, Peter. Life is all about people coming and entering into your personal space. Now, of course, it's all about context here. Right? So we have workers that are going to come into your home and they're going to install something that's going to keep you warm. This is an activity. This is a type of activity that happens oh all the time when you become an adult and you live in society. that you have whether even if you're renting and you have an, have an apartment or you become a homeowner, you're going to have things where things break. Things need to be repaired. Or maybe you wanna make some upgrades and improvements in in your home. And so you have somebody come in to make those improvements. Even if you're renting an apartment. Imagine if this was not in Oberlin College, maybe this was actually in an apartment complex and you had a radiator in your living room, let's say. And maybe it broke or maybe it needs to be replaced. You contact the main desk, the main office of the apartment complex You let them know what's going on, and then they will schedule somebody to come in and to repair or replace that radiator in your apartment. So, this is something that happens all the time. So, here we have something that happens all the time to those of us who live in the world. And yet, this individual's anxiety was already being elevated because somebody was going to come into a space and install a radiator. how is this individual going to going to survive in the rest in the, in the real world once uh, once he leaves college? But then of course, you know, um, they were, the, the men were more likely, the workers who were going to come in here. were more, li- more than likely to be cisgender men. Well, first of all, that's kind of an assumption that that's an assumption. We don't know. Um, obviously he doesn't know. He just says they were more than likely, which is completely an admission of an assumption on his part. But then, What's wrong with cisgendered men? So, in this in this particular instance, this individual is assuming that just because they were going to happen to be cisgendered men, that somehow these cisgender men were going to be what? Are they gonna attack him? Are they gonna look at him weird? Are they gonna say nasty things? Peter, I'm sorry, but this is these these cisgender men who let's assume they are gonna be cisgendered men, when they come in to replace your radiator. They don't really care about your lifestyle. They're here, they're there to do a job. They're getting paid to do a job. They don't care about what you have in your house, in your dorm room here. They don't, they don't care about any of that. They want to they want to be able to come in, have the access that they need to the wall or wherever it is that the radiator is going to be installed so they can do their job quickly and they can move on to the next room because they have a lot of these radiators to replace. They don't, it's not to say that they don't care about you. what they what they don't care about is what your lifestyle is like they care about completing a job that is good for you that you're going to be happy with that is exactly what they care about the article goes on baldwin college is the home of the women and trans collective okay nothing wrong with that the college website describes the dorm as a close-knit community that provides women and transgendered persons with a safe space for discussion Communal living and personal development. Okay, nothing wrong with that. Cisgendered men are not allowed to live on the second and third floors. And many residents choose not to invite cisgendered men to that space. These things are totally fine. I, I don't have any issue with this, but thank you for, you know, thanks to uh, the, the writer of giving us this background information. It's, it's helpful. Um, but again, you're having, remember we're talking about some workers that are just kind of come in and do a job and leave. The writer goes on, I was angry, scared, and confused. Why? Why are you angry, scared, and confused? Confused about what? Okay, I get it, you didn't know, you you didn't hear the first communication about the radiators being replaced. So you're kind of confused there. But what are you scared about? Why is it that you immediately assume that just because they're cisgender men are gonna come into into the space, are gonna enter into your orbit, that something terrible is going to happen to you. I often wonder, you know, when I was reading this particular article, I couldn't help but think, okay, this is at a university. Could the writer of this particular article, could the writer have had something really bad happen to him, had uh, was treated terribly, let's say when he was in high school or maybe came from a different college. I don't know Peter's background. I don't know the writer's background here, but maybe something terrible happened to him. Maybe he was bullied because of, his um, because of the way that he identifies. Okay, maybe uh, transgendered. It provides women and transgendered persons. Okay, so then my assumption uh, again. I'm just going off of the information that I have. There is there is no and there is no desire of me to provide to be judging uh, Peter here. Uh, Peter, the name of yeah, he's the the gentleman who wrote it. I'm assuming gentleman. Again, no, no, you have to say these things because if you don't, people are going to assume that you're saying things uh, in malice, that you're saying things in hatred. Look, you know wh- where I came from when I was raised, if if somebody has a name like Peter, then the assumption is that they're male. And then and in a way of showing politeness and courtesy, then you refer to them as a sir or a Mr, right? gentlemen etc so by me i have no idea now we're in a we're in a we're in a world where you use these types of titles um that are designed to show a certain deference of respect here and um well if they don't perceive those words to be to have those meanings then the individuals can take offense to them so i don't really know i you know i'm walking a minefield here because i don't really understand peter's preferences Okay. I, I don't understand them so uh, i'm trying to navigate this as as much as i can but let's just you know why would he be scared the only thing i can think of is that he had some kind of negative run-in with cisgendered men in his uh you know maybe in high school or something and so now he is starting to um create the sense of catastrophe that anytime there are cisgendered men around him there's going to be a catastrophe of some type that his life, his safety is going to be at risk. And of course, all of this leads to him being angry. Um, he says, why didn't the college complete the installation over the summer when the building was empty? Good question. That's a great question, Peter. There could be, now, I understand in reading the article, I understand why Peter is asking that question. He's thinking that the The college dropped the ball here. That the that the the act of having these cisgendered men come in now, when the when um, the semester is already in full swing, that somehow that is a slight against the students. And let you know, we have to stop thinking about. We have to stop thinking that just because we're coming into. a a situation where we have to interact with another human being, we have to stop thinking that whatever they say or whatever they do has malice intent behind it. We have to stop that. You have to assume that maybe people are doing things to the best of their capability, or maybe they're doing things, maybe they said something, but they don't mean it in that bad light. How many times have you had a conversation with somebody and you've said something and you can tell immediately by their face that they're offended or that their feelings were hurt? Or maybe after, and as you're saying the words, as the, the, the microsecond, the fraction of a second after you finished the, the last word of your sentence, you knew that your choice of words was, was poor. And you can see the, um, the, the hurt land on your friend or your family member's face. It's just like, why would you say that to me? And the first thing that comes out of your mouth afterwards is, oh my gosh, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean it that way. Where, because we have to assume now in a normal conversation, we can have that. We're, we're living in an environment. We're living in a society where depending on who you're speaking to, even if you were to say, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way. Nope, too late. You already said the words. And so therefore, you're going to, be, you're going to have to um, suffer the consequences of what you actually said, even though you didn't actually mean it that way. Now, of course, there are some words and phrases that you, we can say to one another that you can't really take them back. You're, you're only taking it back because you got caught. And I'm not talking about those types of situations. We've all experienced... We've all been in those, in those different situations where you've said something and you thought it sounded way better in your head than it does coming out. And you didn't realize it until you heard the words or you saw the expression on the other person's face and you thought, oh my gosh. So in, in Peter here say, asking the question, why didn't the college complete the installation over the summer? That's a great question. But you know what, Peter? Sometimes these things happen because it's a matter of timing. Maybe the maybe the the company that was going to come in that's coming in to do the installation maybe they weren't available until now. You know, sometimes you have to get on a on a waiting list of work before they can actually come and do the work, or maybe they didn't know about the fact that the radiators had to be installed until the semester started. Maybe they didn't know about it until students moved in and some of the students started turning on the radiators and realizing they're not working. So maybe they did not know that they had to do this over the summer. Maybe they're doing it very, very quickly. And given the fact that radiators keep your room warm, that it's the beginning of October, they want to do this quickly so you don't freeze in the winter months at school. He goes on to say, "Why couldn't they tell us precisely when the workers would be there?" Well, here's a little tip, Peter. That doesn't work. <laughs> this doesn't work in in the real world. Often, you deal with these types of service industries, these um, these service companies, and they give you a window. They can't tell you precisely when they're going to be there. Just um, a couple of weeks ago, I finally. Uh, Speaking of waiting lists and cisgendered men coming into my personal space, back at the end of June, I purchased new, new furniture for my home. And I waited patiently and I knew when I purchased it that I was going to have to wait a while. Because the couch that I purchased, which was only one of the pieces, the couch was on back order. So the salesman told me, hey, you're going to have to wait quite a while before you get this. It probably won't come until the end of September or October. And I said, okay, at the time. So when I paid for it, before I'd even given him my credit card, I knew it was going to be a while. So I've been waiting. And so a couple of weeks ago, this is about two weeks ago, um, it was delivered. They finally came, you know, finally came to deliver my couch. Now, I don't have all of the pieces yet. I still have two more pieces that I'm waiting to get. That's neither here nor there. Um... When they called me to tell me that they were going to deliver, they, gave, they let me pick a day so I could pick a day and I picked a Wednesday and I picked the day and they said, you know what they told me? I said, okay, we're going to be there anytime between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. That's what they told me. We'll be there anytime between 9 p.m. and 5 p.m. or 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. It wasn't until the day of that they could give me a, a slightly more narrow time window. Okay. And in fact, when they called me to tell me the the more precise time window, it was still a window, but I knew they were going to be there within the hour. So I still did not have a precise time on when they were going to be there, be here anyway. That's how things operate in the real world, Peter. And if you've, if any of you listening in the sound of my voice have had anything delivered or had workers come to work on whatever in your house, they usually give you a window and you're always amazed. We're often amazed, you know, anytime between the hours of 12 and six, it's like, you know, yeah, you know what, Peter? We all would like to have a more precise time, but that's not how the world works because the company doesn't know how long the, pre, the previous stops are going to take. They have a ballpark idea, but they don't know. They don't know exactly on when, on how much time it's going to take. And there's traveling time. They could run into a, a, an accident on the freeway on the way to your place. A number of things can happen. And so all they can do is give you a best estimate of when they're going to be there. The article goes on, why couldn't they tell us precisely when the workers would be there, okay? Why were they only notifying us the day before the installation was due to begin? Well, because more, because more, more often than most, most likely, the college didn't know until the day before the installation was about to begin. That's probably why. It could also be, and again, let's not assume that they're operating with, with malicious intent here, the, I'm speaking them being the college. Maybe they were notified a day or two beforehand, but it it takes a while in a in an organization the size of a university with all of its bureaucratic tape for it for that information to flow from the person who received the call to the group that has to send out the emails. Okay. So And all of that timing has to work out. And then you have to figure out, well, when is the best time to send this email? So all those decisions have to be made within a bureaucracy before you can actually press the send button. I know it sounds weird, but again, I don't think they're doing this to intentionally put you at, you know, put you in a state of hyper anxiety. He goes on, I considered reaching out to Matos, but what would I say? The college was unlikely to address any of my concerns the day before the scheduled installation, and if they did, it would more than likely be in a passive, we are truly sorry for the inconvenience sort of way, punctuated by an insistence that I would not be excessively bothered and that the installation was necessary, whether I liked it or not. Yeah, that's what happens when you have work done in your home. Um, They try to get in and out as quickly as they can with very minimal disruption to you, but understanding that there's going to be some disruption. They can't get around that. The next day I waited apprehensively, he says. The workers began installing in common spaces and I could see immediately that they were all men. It was clear that the college had not made a special request that male workers not be allowed onto the upper floors of Baldwin. Well, how many radiator repair installation crews are composed entirely of women or transgendered women? How many? I'm guessing probably not a lot and it probably has nothing to do with them being discriminatory against women or against transgenders but it probably has more to do with the fact that there are less women and less transgendered women interested in repairing and replacing radiators. I'm just, you know, I'm just spitballing here, but maybe that's actually why um, there were no transgendered or women radiator repair crews. Just a a thought. It was clear that the college had not made a special request that male workers not be allowed on the upper floors of Baldwin. Predicting when they would reach my room was pure guesswork. Of course, and it was going to be pure guesswork for the company to try to give you precise time your words you said you wanted precisely why couldn't they tell us precisely when the workers would be there they if they can't tell you if you can't figure out by watching them work how long it was going to be until they reached your room it's going to be even 10 times more difficult to get a precise time on when they were going to be in your room before they were even on campus I was trying to anticipate whether I would be in class when they arrived, or if I'd have to welcome strangers into my room only to be ejected to allow them space to work. You probably didn't need to be ejected. Now, maybe the fact that you're, you know, if you have a dorm room and it's small and cramped and you've got two guys in there trying to replace, a, replace the radiator, maybe there's not enough room and maybe you kind of self-eject yourself from the room, right? To get out. I get it. When the insistent knock eventually came, I scrambled to get my mask on and repeatedly shouted coming through the door. Four or five construction workers stood outside accompanied by someone who I could only assume by his neat polo and clipboard to be an emissary of the college. We stared at each other for a moment before I moved aside to allow the workers to enter. The emissary began issuing platitudes that the work wouldn't take long and encouraged me to prop open my door. I asked meekly if I could actually not have a radiator installed in my dorm. I knew the answer was no before I had even said it, but hey, worth a shot. Of course not, because they have to they have a blanket They're Again, you have to you have to think about how a project like this gets underway. So they put out a bid and companies respond to that bid and say for this number of rooms and it's going to take this amount of time and this number of rate. We need all these radiators. So you not wanting to have a new one installed, one, you're going to be cold now and, the, and the, um, the university can't be put at risk of you freezing to death in your room. Um, and two, they're not going to bend over backwards and make a special concession to have the company come back and install a radiator in your room after the fact because, well, now that's just having to deal with higher costs. He goes on, I left for class and by the time I had come back, they appeared to be done. Though Polo Man warned me, that they would return later in the week to check the insulation. He says insulation, I don't know if he means insulation or installation, but whatever. Sure enough, they were back the next day. I felt mildly violated and a little peeved. Why would you feel violated? You knew they were going to come back. Now, of course, is you know what, as an adult, I get irritated when I don't know they're going to show up, right? So, even though the week when I got my when I received my my furniture, they gave me this tremendous window, you know, <laughs> 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, and I felt trapped then. I don't go anywhere normally during the day. I work from home. Um, and, uh, you know, the most I do is I go to the, usually during the week, I go to the gym, but I go first thing in the morning. I'm usually there by 6.30 in the morning, right? So I'm, I go to the gym and I walk my dog periodically. Okay. Right. But all of a sudden for some, you know, when, when you have that expectation that you're going to have these people coming into your home and it's, they give you such a, such a giant window. All of a sudden I felt I was trapped. I couldn't go anywhere. Now I wanted to go all kinds of places. I need to run here and I need to run there. I need to run. I should go over to, you know, Home Depot for some, Oh, no, nope, can't do that. I should go over to, you know, the groceries. Nope. Can't do that either. Cause I don't know when they're going to come right now. And then I felt trapped. And then it was, so I understand the irritation. I do, I get it, but it's something that you just have to roll with the punches and know that this is a normal everyday thing that happens in a service industry. Now, granted, there are companies that are, believe me, there are companies that are trying to get better at predicting on how long it's going to take and when, and, and getting better, better and better at, 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 uh, at their forecasting and, Telling you precisely when they're going to be there. They're getting better at doing these things. Trust me, they want you to not have to be to feel like you're being imprisoned in your home. They, the companies want you to feel because they want to do, they want that return business. So they they want you to feel like, oh, I loved my, my experience with that customer. They did such a great job. I'm going to call them back, et cetera, et cetera. I get it right? They're trying very, very hard to do that. And it's very difficult for them to do that, Peter, but they're trying. I couldn't help but think that though there were other dorms affected by the installation, Baldwin, Baldwin Cottage was one of the worst places for it to occur. Now, how do you know that? How do you know it was one of the worst places for it to occur? Maybe the entire installation went swimmingly at Baldwin College Cottage, and maybe in other dorms, it was a little bit more tenuous and ran into more air issues. Maybe there was a water leak in one of the dorms that had took extra time to repair. You don't know that it was one of the worst places for it to occur. There are myriad, there are myriad reasons to want to be housed in Baldwin cottage, but many people myself included choose to live there for an added degree of privacy and a feeling of safety and protection. Do all of the students at this university desire to live in dorm rooms without privacy, without safety and without protection. A significant portion of students choose to live in Baldwin because they are victims of sexual assault or abuse, have suffered past invasions of privacy or have some other reason to fear cisgender men. I get it. And this is very terrible. Now, I don't know, we don't know Peter's story. We don't know if Peter actually was a victim of sexual assault or abuse. Maybe he was, maybe it wasn't, I don't know. And I understand the concern. Um, I understand that there are students who live here, who live in this Baldwin cottage, who suffered past invasions of privacy. I get it. A lot of people have suffered past invasions of privacy of one type or another, to one degree or another or have some other reason to fear cisgendered men? What other reason would you have to fear cisgendered men? So the assumption here is cisgendered men violently assaulted, sexually assaulted or abused somebody, terrible, absolutely terrible, and they should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, right? That's what should happen. So nobody's saying that cisgendered men should go around and sexually assault or abuse anybody, even other cisgendered men. That is deplorable, that is horrible, it is an it is an atrocity, it is immoral, it is illegal, it is all of those things. And my heart breaks for those for for people who have had who've had to suffer through things like that because nobody should. So I get it, I get it, Peter. Have suffered past invasion. So the cisgendered men, you you fear them because of sexual assault or abuse, or because cisgendered men have invaded your privacy in the past. My challenge to Peter is this, how many cisgendered men exist in the world, in your area of the world, where you currently are, or in the United States in general? How many cisgendered men are there? I'm gonna go out on, on a limb and I'm gonna say more than, a, more than a couple dozen, right? Quite a few, quite a lot. Lots and lots, okay? The number of cisgendered men that, will, that are sexually assaulting and abusing you or invading your privacy is a very, very small number of people. I guarantee you that you go out into the world displaying and and behaving the way that you might be behaving whether you're a transgendered man or a woman i'm not saying your behavior is any weird i'm just saying you're just out there and you're presenting yourself and you're living your life the vast number of cisgendered men are not going to f- sexually abuse you they're not now those that would are assholes, and i will i would stand shoulder to shoulder shoulder to shoulder with you peter and denounce them and say that that is inappropriate. That is not how men should, be, should behave, cisgendered or not. But what are the other reasons for you to fear cisgendered men? This gets, to the, this gets to the real crux of the issue, okay, so of what I wanted to talk about today. This sounds to me like somebody has some PTSD issues here let's assume for the sake of argument that Peter um, and and maybe he didn't, but somebody inside Baldwin cottage, because obviously Peter writes, he wrote this article and for the Oberlin review. And so he, maybe nothing happened to him per se, but let's say he, let's assume it happened to somebody who is in Oberlin and he is using his, his, um, his status or his, Um, his soapbox as a writer for the Oberlin review to speak on their behalf or to speak for them. That's very possible. So let's say that somebody does have PTSD from some cisgendered men. The question becomes, how do you overcome that PTSD? If you look to psychology, if you look to places like psychology and I and here's where here's here's where I, I really I really miss having Jason on the show, right? Because as soon as I would bring up the word psychology, his eyes would roll back into the back of his head because he thinks all that kind of stuff is is a bunch of hooey. But there's a lot of really good research and a lot of really good um, practitioner that comes from areas of psychology, especially in dealing with helping people overcome. Uh, past traumas and, and, and managing their own PTSD. So part of that, if we look to things like cognitive behavioral therapy and these, you know, clinical psychologists who work with people that have PTSD, one of the things that you have to do with people that have PTSD is not to shield them from the triggers of their PTSD. Now that doesn't mean you take somebody who has a fear of swimming and you drop them in the ocean a mile offshore and tell them to swim back. That's not, that's not how this goes, but you do slowly introduce the trigger to the person, even if it's as simple as we're just going to sit in the room and we're going to envision water. Let's say the, you know, the fear of swimming, for example, drowning or whatever. Yeah, you, you envision the water and you envision being in the water. You might start off as very simple as that. And you talk about what the person is feeling and how they're dealing with it. And you, and then you, you set up those situations where they're in control and they're imagining those things. And then you can slowly get them a little bit closer to water and you introduce the water where you're not going to get into the water, but you're going to introduce them to it. You're going to show them the water and then you kind of work through that and then and then you might get closer to the water and then you might dip your toes into the water into the pool and then you might and or you might sit down on the edge of the pool and put your feet in right and so you slowly introduce the trigger of the PTSD of whatever it is and why do you do that because psychology shows that if you shield somebody from the triggers of their PTSD that it doesn't do anything to help them overcome their PTSD we are living in a society where there's a, a, a good portion of people who believe that PTSD is not something that can be overcome. It's something to be avoided. And so to avoid it, we, we, have, to, we have to provide these safe spaces where those triggers of the PTSD will never come into being, will never be introduced to the individual. But that's no way to live life. I'm sorry. There's that's no there's no quality of life there. And so, if there are people living in this Overland cottage, and they have been introduced, or they've been you know they've been sexually abused or assaulted, or what have you, by cisgendered men. Now, I'm not saying that this. You know, the male workers is a way to just, let's just jumpstart it. I understand that. But you have to, people like, people like Peter or whomever he's speaking for, they have to be willing to start to interact and, and be introduced back to cisgendered men. Because there are a lot of cisgendered men out there, Peter, that are not going to violently abuse you or invade your privacy or do anything to make you fearful. In fact, there are a large number of cisgendered men who will do all they can to make you feel safe and who really don't care about your lifestyle and who really do want you to be in a safe environment and to have the opportunity to grow and become your full self. And your full self is not hiding in your dorm room, afraid that somebody's going to come and replace your radiator. That's not a way to live. And then what are you supposed to do when you, when you leave school and you have an apartment of your own, what are you going to do when you're living on a, in an apartment complex where the majority of men there are all, are cisgendered, they're cisgendered men. What are you going to do then? Maybe the guy right next door to your apartment is cisgendered. Maybe you have to walk past his door to get to your apartment. So we're not, doing the, we're not doing these kids any good by hiding them and shielding them from their PTSD. Now then, have, have you seen, there's this new show on Netflix. It's called The Squid Game. Have you seen this? Uh, I actually watched it uh, about a week or so ago. Sat and binge watched, watched it over two nights. Um, and I watched it um, mainly because I was, I was interested. I was kind of curious. A lot of people were talking about it online. Um, but that's not why I watched. I didn't watch it because there was a bunch of people talking about it online. I watched it because I watched the preview. and it looked kind of interesting. I mean, i I'm a gamer. I like games and you know, squid game, and what's this? You know, and I started watching. It. oh, I looked watched the trailer, and I'm like, hey, this looks interesting. I'll check it out. And I actually really enjoyed it. i I thought that the storytelling was really well done. Um, uh, and I thought really, I mean, yeah, the storyline is completely over the top and and um, and and crazy. Um, but that was re- wasn't really the point that was just, that's just the setting. You have to understand, um, that there's a difference between a setting and a story. And the story of squid game is not people playing a game, but it's about what's happening within the setting, within the context of this game. And so watching the squid game, and for those of you who do not know the squid game, basically there are 456, I believe that's right. 456. Um, people who willfully join this game. They're, they're down on their luck. They, they're broke. They're in debt, what have you. You have 456 people and they sign up to participate. They're not enslaved to go here. They, they willfully join to go play this game. Now, they don't know that by playing the game, uh, they're likely going to die. <laughs> okay, so they don't really know that. Um, basically, if you lose, you die. That's that, and they don't really find that out until they get to the game. And of course, that creates a bunch of tension and creates character tension and everything like that. Either here nor there. The um the, the story is really about this this character and how he evolves and how he grows as an individual, um over the course of playing the game. So he's a down on on his, down on his luck guy, owes a bunch of money to some bookies, um, who want to kill him. Um, he, he's a, he's a dad, but his wife is now remarried. So he's, he's contending with, with the idea of a, of a stepdad in in his daughter's life. Uh, And he does, his daughter doesn't live with him, obviously. So, you know, he's struggling with that. He's struggling to wanting to be a good father. And so the game by putting him in, in this very stressful situation, he starts to grow as an individual over the course of the story or or the course of the, the show. And so that's really what the story is about. All right. But it is a game, or at least that's the concept. The setting is this game that's being played. Um, and so um, there are, this comes to, from Yahoo News as well as the New York Post. They wrote these articles slightly different. Um, but um, apparently, kids are playing Squid Game at recess, the Squid Game. Um, so, what is that? Well, let me let me let me uh, read to you some of this uh, article here. I just picked one. I'm not going to read both of them, uh, one from the New York Post and the one from Yahoo. But I'm going to read the one from Yahoo. Um, they essentially say the exact same things. Um, Squid Game, Wit Honeya. I'm 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 sure I'm just butchering the name. Uh, is the author here of this article? So the Squid Game, Netflix's massive global hit, and it is a massive global hit. It's huge. It was number one on their streaming charts, and everybody's talking about it online. And there's there's already they've already inked a deal for a season two. Um, so the Netflix massive global hit might feature playground games, but it is most obviously not for kids. What do you mean by playground playground games? Well, each during the course of the the st- of the series of the show. The contestants have to participate in six different games and and each of these games is based on a game that kids in the universe of squid game have played on um you know at recess in their schools or on the playground etc some of the games i had no idea what they were actually a game um and uh, f- from what i understand those games are popular in like south korea um, but there was you know there were two games that were played uh, that I remember playing as a kid. One was Red Light, Green Light, and another one was Tug of War. So those are two games that um, that were played in the show. The ultra-violent show, which follows 456 debt-ridden adult characters as they fight each other to the death for a chance to win millions of dollars, is too gruesome even for many adults. I, I admit it. There were times when it was a bit, it was a bit over the top in terms of 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 goriness. Um, think Survivor meets Lord of the Flies meets Dodgeball reimagined by Quentin Tarantino. Absolutely, I, I agree with that part. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to, so the games on the show, all based on classic playground games from South Korea, not just South Korea, but whatever, like tug of war and red light, green light are popping up on real life playgrounds, distressing parents, educators, and development experts, many of whom are wondering how the heck these kids heard about the show in the first place. Now, hold up. You're telling me that kids are out, out at recess or out on the playground and they're playing tug of war and red light, green light. And that is what you're worried about. You're worried about them actually playing. Do you know what red light, green light is? Red light, green light is you had somebody like, you know, they put, they, they're they faced up against a wall, one person and they they hide their eyes, okay? And all of the other players, all the other kids, or like way back over there, 20, 30, 40, 50 feet behind, and they all start in a line. And the idea is when the person, they turn their head back towards the wall at the far end. And, and I, the idea is all of those people, you're going to try to run and touch the wall. And you want to be the first person to touch the wall to win last person. You know, if you're not the, if you don't touch the wall before somebody else does, you kind of lose. Right. So really there's one winner. Um, but you can't advance toward the wall until the person who's standing at the wall faces the wall and they say green light, okay? And they can spin around and say red, and say red light. And when they say red light, you have to stop and you have to be frozen. Whatever position that is, And you can't move. So if you're, if you're like this, your arms are up in the air, you can't move your hands. You have to be completely frozen solid like you're, you're a statue. And if they see you move, then they can call your name and you're out and you have to you know go sit on the sidelines and so the idea is as the red light green light person the traffic cop you're trying to catch people right and all of the other people you're just trying to get up there without being noticed without being seen moving and hit the wall you don't want kids playing this at recess for some reason or tug of war we all know what tug of war is and somehow this is distressing this is distressing adults and and um teachers The article goes on, to be clear, kids in real life aren't invoking the penalty of death. I would hope not. That is so crucial to the show. But some reports suggest that violence is still playing a part with bullets replaced by punches and other forms of physical aggression. So, and, so perhaps, I'm going to, let me finish this paragraph and I want to talk about this. So perhaps there's cause for concern when a show featuring red light, green light, but with a murderous motion sensing doll and walls of hidden snipers serves as recreational fodder for milk cartons. Okay, so I, I totally get it. You're, you're kind of, you're, you're taken aback because kids are playing red light, green light. And if you get sent off, you get a punch. Well, first the question becomes, where are they punching each other? Are they punching each other in the face? And, and even if they are punching each other in the face, we kind of have to say stop and go, well, is that so bad? <laughs> oh, bear with me for a moment. I'm guessing they're probably punching each other in the arm. I mean, seriously, how many kids do you know want to actually be hit? they probably, no, 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 punch me in the arm. Punch me, you can punch me in the arm, right? So they're probably doing that. Now, here, here's, here's, here's the thing. First of all, when it comes to playing a game, this is the beauty about games, okay? The beauty of games is that games are voluntary. We don't, nobody forces us to play a game, especially on the playground. There is, I guarantee you that even, let's say for the sake of argument that kids are punching each other as a form of punishment, um, you know, as form of payment for getting out. Okay, let's say they are doing that, punching each other in the arm, wherever it doesn't matter, wherever. The kids have to volunteer to play. Okay, they're volunteering. So if you're not playing the squid game at school, you're not getting punched. That's rule number one. So rule number two, here with with games, is if anybody is going to play with you, okay, then. You have to be seen as playing fairly. What does that mean? Well, if we're playing a game like Squid Game, a red light, green light, and we're offering punches to people, if people are getting jacked in the face for getting out and it's hurt and they're coming off all bloody and everything, crying and whatnot then very very quickly you're not going to have a lot of other kids to play with okay so the kids are going to have to balance very quickly they're going to very very quickly learn that there's a balance between punishment or payment for playing the game a penalty right we have to make the we have to give a penalty but we have to make it fair and why do we give a penalty well the penalty is a form of having skin in the game and anything worth playing means that you have skin in the game. If you have skin in the game, it doesn't matter what it is, but if you have some type of skin in the game, it immediately does something to us as individuals. We immediately become more invested in it. We immediately want to strive to become better at it. And kids figure this out very, very quickly, which is why whether they're punching each other or not, they tend to come up with some other types of way naturally, to get each other to have skin in the game so that people continue to play. Because otherwise, if there's no reason to play, at some point, somebody's going to be like, I don't want to play anymore. Let's go over here. But if you have skin in the game, you're willing to see through it to the end of the game, or at least until you get sent off. So now we have a volunteer where we have students, we have kids who volunteer to play in the squid game. And now for them, for them to play, they have to learn how to really quickly, how to play fair with one another. Because if, if other kids are not playing fair or they're punching too hard, or they're trying to Jack you in the face and not in the arm, like everybody else, and they're, they're abusing their authority as the rules, you know, as the umpires or what have you, if they're abusing that, then nobody's going to want to play with that person anymore. And they're going to go over here and play their own version of squid game and tweak the rules that is applicable or that is that the rest of the kids will like and enjoy and still have fun, have skin in the game, but not as brutal. But guess what? If there are some kids that want to play a brutal form of of squid game, as long as they're not killing each other and, you know, (laughs) that, well, then what difference does it matter? So what if there's a little bit of pain involved with them, We know when, when I was a kid, and I don't want to turn this necessarily into, well, when back in my day, but you know, when I was a kid, I remember, I remember my, my friends and I, we went to the movies and we saw Tron, the movie Tron by Disney. You remember that movie? And in the movie Tron, uh, the, the programs, because the characters, like the character Tron and the character Flynn is one of the humans and he gets sucked into the computer, right? And they carry this disc, this circular, it's a Frisbee. It's a circular disc right and and stuff was written you know i remember exactly how that worked in the in the movie um but uh the programs were often sent to the grid to play video games to play games and uh and in one of the games we saw at the very beginning of the film uh tron is is battling two opponent two or three opponents um and they're using those little discs that they keep on the on their back and they take this disc off and they can throw them and you know they act like boomerangs and they come back and you deflect other you know deflect attacks with it or block with it and stuff like that and when we saw that as kids guess what the very next thing we bought was frisbees and guess what we did after we opened those packages we were throwing them and hitting each other with them we were playing our own we were making up all kinds of different rules for tron safe spots where hey if you're on this spot you can't be you can't be hit with the you know with the the disc and Um, you know, we're making up all kinds of different rules, right? Oh, we didn't like that rule. So let's change the rule. Come up with another rule, better rule, whatever. Right. But we, we spent the whole summer out there binging each other with these, uh, with these, with these discs, these Frisbee discs, they hurt. They do hurt knocking each other. I mean, if you catch one, you can, if you catch a Frisbee disc right across the nose, it'll bust your face. Right. And at the time it was like, well, you have another Frisbee block with it, you know, um, so then it became, and, and, you know, our Frisbees, unlike Tron's didn't come back. And so when you threw your disc and you were unarmed, you didn't have a means of protecting yourself. So you had to really gauge and When do I release my disc? When do I don't? And, you know, and, and, and not only that, but we self-regulated, our, we self-regulated our throws because If I hit somebody, if I throw my disc really hard and I hit somebody with it, guess what? They're going to come at me 10 times harder. So either I have to be willing to take that punishment or maybe I pull back a little bit and I just don't hit my buddy so hard. So that way he doesn't feel the need to hit me twice as hard. So we self-regulated and that's what these kids are no different than when I was growing up back in the eighties. These kids are no different. They're going to self-regulate because I guarantee you, they're all probably taking turns, get doing the punching. Hey, you know what? I'm going to, I got to punch you, but I'm not going to punch you really, really hard because if I do, you're going to come back and try to punch me, you know, 10 times harder. And I don't want that, but we got to get some skin in the game. You know, ah, that was a good one. Let me get you right. So these kids are going to self-regulate here. That's going to happen. All right. I kind of got off on a tangent here. Let me continue reading this article. It says schools in Australia have asked parents to make sure their kids don't watch the show. Parents in Belfast are being asked, are you sure? And and I get it, right? I'm not telling anybody that I would never tell a parent, don't let your kid watch the show or let your kid watch the show. That's a, you know, it, it depends on the context of the kid. I will tell you that it is pretty bloody. It's pretty over the top. There were a couple of moments where I was like, oh gosh, I can't believe they did that. Um, There are a few scenes like that. So just be, you know, if whoever wants to let their kid watch it, that's on you. That's none of my business. Um, The article goes on, quote, I don't think it is entirely that different for kids and adults as a phenomena, said Hina Talib, director of the Adolescent Medicine Postdoctoral Fellowship Program at the Children's Hospital at Montefiore in New York via Twitter direct message. Wow, that was a mouthful. It is a social spark that spreads fast and kids and adults alike want to be included. That's human nature, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, squid games should not be viewed by kids less than 16. Damon core behavioral and development pediatrician and clinic director of center for developing minds in Los Gatos, California told the post in a message. Okay. It is gratuitously violent. And these images have the potential to desensitize people to violence. Children are particularly vulnerable. All right. Sure. Whatever. Thanks to hugely popular TikTok and YouTube videos, not to mention show themed games on Fortnite and Roblox. Squid, squid game is reaching kids long before they see it trending at number one on their Netflix homepage for many kids who get caught up in the buzz of squid game and other overnight social whirlwinds. That is all of the contact they may ever have with the show. A moment of belonging created entirely by being peer adjacent, often several times removed. You know what? They're going to play squid game, whether or not they watch the game. Why? Because some other kid had, wa- had watched the show. Some other kid watched the show and got a bunch of his buddies playing, and these kids over here who never saw the show say, "What are you guys playing? that looks fun." And we're playing Squid Game. Well, what is that? How do you play? They're going to tell, them, and then right away these other kids are going to be playing. So it doesn't matter whether kids watch the show or not. It's going to get out there. I get it. I'm not. Again, you have to make your own decision of whether or not kids are going to um, are, are going to participate, or are, I'm sorry, whether or not your kids should watch a show like that. I'll leave that entirely up to your discretion. Um let's see. My okay, so here's here's person in the article that says my fifteen year old, I'm not sure who this is, one of the parents um, that they interviewed. My fifteen year old binged it immediately and he insisted that the rest of the family watch it too. I watched it all in one night, primarily for this article, but also to see what kind of language, violence, sex, nudity, suicide smoking rabbit hole. My kid had gone down without bothering to ask for permission. I, so I guess that was the the author writing about that. Okay. So the author has a 15 year old who binge watched it or watched it. And so the author watched it. Is this something parents actually need to worry about? Let's stop for a minute and think about our own days of playground roulette. Yeah. Let's consider the game red Rover where one kid was invited, pressured to run into a chain of arms and inevitably dislocate a shoulder, bloody a nose or sprain a wrist. This was a popular one that I played when growing up. There, this was a big one. My biggest thing was I never got picked. Nobody. <laughs> yeah. Well, because you'd get 50 kids to a side playing Red Rover. Do you remember these things? You'd have 50 kids to a side playing Red Rover, right? And there's only so many minutes in like a like, you know, 15, 30 minute um, you know recess session. And you didn't play start playing Red Rover the second you ran out the door. It was always, you know, you're farting around doing something else and somebody, hey let's play Red Rover. You know, and it starts with five people playing. That's how these things start, right? You know, five people on one side, five people on another side. And before you know, hey, they're playing Red Rover. Can I play, you know, they just jump in. And before you know it, you got 50 kids to a side, right? That's what happened. That's how these things happen. I guarantee you that's probably how Squid Game started. You got five kids playing and other kids were like, what are you playing? Well, and they jump in, right? But here's the thing. I remember playing this game out when I was a kid in fourth and fifth grade, whatever, on the playground. Um, and I don't remember anybody dislocating a shoulder, getting a bloody nose or spraining a wrist. I don't remember anybody getting, uh, getting injured uh, by playing Red Rover. Why? Because it was a combination of boys and girls. It was a combination of boys and girls remember in red Rover, I don't know if you remember this, but you had to like lock hands. And then the idea was, you know, they'd say like red Rover, red Rover, send so-and-so right over. Right. And so all the kids would huddle up and they would figure out who we're going to pick have come across the other side. usually it was somebody they like, like a boy or girl, they liked on the other side, whatever, um, you know, send that person over and that person would have to run really, really fast and try to break the chain, the arms, right. You know, you know, identify a weak spot and try to run right through, right through them. Why didn't anybody get injured playing this game? Well, because kids didn't want to get hurt themselves. So if you're running at them, you know, you either a, especially if it's somebody that you thought was a lot stronger than you, right? We either hold on and yeah, dislocate our shoulder as they try to run through our, run through our arms, or I let go. (laughs) And then they don't get hurt they get through. Yay. And guess what happens? If they break the chain, they have to bring somebody from our side back to their side. Right. But if they, if we kept them from breaking the chain, then we keep them on our side. And, it, you know, so there, nobody was getting hurt playing this game. Now, maybe, it, maybe this guy, you know, he says he doesn't actually say that people got injured playing Red Rover when he played it. He goes on and says, Red Rover was a daily lesson in my own mortality, often leaving children prone on the ground, gasping for air and vowing revenge. Oh, my gosh. That's a, you know, that is just absolutely terrible. You're going to tell me that kids were often prone on the ground, gasping for air and vowing revenge. That's that's terrible apparently apparently that is just terrible that they would just be gasping on the on gasping for air on the ground. We can't have that. We can't have kids having fun even if that means that they get gassed while while sprinting across the playground trying to break a human chain and make sometimes they get thrown back you know even if they were trying to break the even if a guy was trying to break through the arms of the girls, sometimes the girls would hold him back and then you know huck him onto the ground. yeah, he'd fall down. Nobody was. Everybody was laughing and having a good time. Vowing revenge. How terrible, I'll get you, I'll get you for that. You know, these are just kids having fun. The author goes on and says, and what about crack the whip? I don't remember crack the whip. Do you remember crack the whip? I don't remember crack the whip or football. Oh my gosh, so football is, is shouldn't be played here. Person actually calls out, you know, kids being prone on the ground, gasping for air, vowing for revenge. I guess this happens in games like Crack the Whip or football. Now that we're parents, those games do seem dangerous, particularly if we want our kids' windpipes to remain intact. But back when we were kids, it was glorious. You don't think it's still glorious for the kids playing the games today? How come you were, elab- well, you were allowed to have your glory, but your, ki- your children aren't? We played it as violently as playground supervisors would allow, and most of us weren't even in debt. Sure, the games we played might not have been based on a hit TV show, but survival was real. And so assuming you or your kid is interested, you might want to check out the nonviolent versions of the games in Squid Game. Chances are they are very interested. Yeah, but you know what? They're probably more interested in playing the violent versions because that's how kids are. Because kids actually recognize that when you have skin in the game, it makes it more interesting. It makes it more exciting. There now becomes bragging rights. You now get to try to improve. And guess what? You don't want to get punched on the arm, play better. That's the other nice thing about games is, yeah, you know what? When I play a game, one, remember, volunteer. I have to volunteer to play the game. Voluntary, okay? So I have to volunteer to play the game. If I don't play the game, I don't get hurt. Or I don't even get, And some games, you don't even, there's no threat of physical injury. There's a threat of emotional injury, right? Having to deal with the, the effects of losing, okay? So there's that emotional, there can be that emotional or psychological component to have to deal with. Okay. But that comes from losing. So again, I volunteer. And two, I want to be able to play with people that are good sports. I don't want to play with people that are, that are jerks when they're winning or when they're losing. If you've ever played a game with somebody who's a jerk as a, they're a sore loser, um, you don't want to play with them anymore. And kids figure that out very, very quickly. They don't want to play with them. And so when you, when you play in these types of games, right, kids will learn very, very fast that, Hey, if I don't play in a way that other people appreciate and like, then I'm going to eventually be playing by myself. And so kids will, kids will naturally self-govern because of that behavior. But the other thing too, is the, the games have rules. And so it's very easy to catch those who are cheating or those who are, you know, spoiling the game for other people. And when you play a game, you quickly ostracize those, those folks. Yes, those people may win a small victory here and there and get away with it, but eventually they get found out. And what happens is the larger group says, we don't want to play with you anymore. So even if you're violating the rules, you're cheating, etc. You quickly learn, especially for children, you quickly learn that it's better to learn the rules and play by the rules because then other people and play fair and play well because then other people are going to want to play with you. And then if you have skin in the game, if there's that sense of, you know, if there's that sense of that sting of defeat, whether it's physical or it's emotional or psychological, if there's that sting of defeat, then there's incentive to get better. There's an incentive to adapt to what happened, to think about what it was that you did wrong when you played the game and get better. And we're, we're creating the society where we, we want to eliminate the skin in the game for all games. We don't want kids to have any kind of skin in the game when they're playing out on recess because we don't want them to get hurt or we don't want them to feel the emotional sting of losing a game. But guess what, you know we've seen there have been there have been groups that looked at kids playing like T-ball for example or soccer and they'll say we're not we don't keep score but guess what the kids keep score. The kids absolutely keep score because they want to know who's winning. It's a natural it's a natural thing they want to know who's better. They want to know who to play with, who's, who, you know, when you identify who the good players are, then you want to learn from them. You want them on your team so that your team wins. So you get better. And when you play against people that are better than you, you actually do get better. You know, if you're, if you're a, a kid and you, and you are really good at a particular event, at a p- particular sport, a particular game, and you dominate the other students, But if you're a fair player and you play well and people enjoy playing with you, it doesn't matter that you dominate. You'll be able to play with them more. You'll be able to play more games. And that's the whole intent. The whole intent is to have fun. And so you you have fun by playing more games. More games you play, the more fun you have. And so you figure that out. And those, those lessons translate further into life that if I play by these certain rules that I get to have fun or I get to get paid or I get to reap these other rewards. If I, what are the rules of the game? Teach me the rules of the game. Now I'm going to be bad at first. I get it. But as long as I understand the boundaries, then I know that I'm being treated fairly. I may lose, but I volunteered. I I, I joined of my own free will and accord. I joined the game I learned how to play. I thought I could wager. I thought I could win a bet or whatever the case may be. I thought I could do well and I didn't. Okay, well, now I can reflect and I can actually get better and I can get even better and I can get better and I can improve. And then eventually I'll get to a point if I, pr- if I put in enough work and effort and I think about my play strategies and all of that, I can get better. And then you start winning more. and winning becomes even more fun. So just because you're losing and kids are losing and they're getting a punch in the arm, it's not the end of the world. We we exist in a society right now where we're trying to we're trying to take the world as it exists and we're trying to restructure it in a way to fit the children so that the world conforms to their needs. And that does a huge disservice to the individual, to that individual child. Why? Because it is impossible. There are are untold number of variables and events that can happen in the world. And it is impossible for anybody, especially a committee, to come in and re-engineer the entire world so that it's safe for every child, because every child is going to have different needs. It is impossible to do that. What is more beneficial? What is most beneficial is to teach that student, to teach that kid, that person, the individual, how to adapt to the world around them. Because then they'll be more flexible. Then they'll be able to rebound better. They're not going to have moments of PTSD just because somebody happened to use words that they thought were, were unfair or offensive. and when you do have the world that delivers a terrible um, a, a terrible result to somebody like you know the 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 women and transgender kids who live in Oberlin what is it Oberlin cottage or whatever it was called you don't want to shield them either and that's a terrible injustice that is that is dealt to those students that if they suffered assuming for the sake of argument that those students who were living in that dorm experienced violence or invasions of privacy, what, you know, et cetera. Yes. It's a terrible injustice that was, was done to them. But do you really want, should we really be shielding those children, shielding those, shielding those students and trying to keep put them in a bubble now, they might be able to be in a bubble while they're at while they're in college, but they're not going to be in that bubble forever. At some point, they're going to leave. At some point, they have to leave. And they have to be prepared to operate in the real world, in that bigger world. Rather than create all of this, trying to create all of these safe spaces um, in which they can operate in, because it's impossible to create an to create an infinite number of safe spaces um, to shield them from an infinite number of events that can happen in the world. The best bet, the best bet at survival, the best bet at happiness, the best bet at human growth, at human development of adaptation is to teach those students, teach those kids how to adapt to the world when when it attacks them. And yes, when they're violently attacked by somebody else in the world, society needs to come down hard on those attackers, those people who mm-hmm. violate our legal laws as well as our moral laws against another human being. And we need to deal with those perpetrators. And we need to provide support and empathy and kindness to those who, are, who have been attacked violently. Absolutely, we need to we also then need to pick them up. And we also need to teach them how to continue the road of life because it is better for them to be in this world than for the world to be without them. Even if somebody was violently sexually assaulted, it is better for the victim to be in this world and to be productive and to be happy and to return light into the world We want those people, we should, civilization, a civilized society should want those individuals to be here. But we have to recognize that we cannot make the world an entire safe space for an infinite number of events. That we all we can do is give them the support they need and give them the encouragement to go out and face those things, face those fears. Because if they do... In, they can overcome those fears and they can grow. And who knows at that point? The personal growth and development, the sky's the limit uh in that in that regard. All right. So I've been I've been going at this for over an hour. I think I've uh, I think I've belabored the point enough. Again, I'm really sorry that Jason was not here. Um, I hope you enjoyed at least me droning on for over an hour talking about uh, talking about the Squid Game and, and Oberlin College or whatever, Ober, the Oberlin Review. Um, anyway, if you are interested in all of our stuff, do us a favor, have, uh, send the links to, to people that you know, Give, get them out there, send them uh, send them our way to fusionunderground.net. Um, they can check out all of our podcasts there. All of our videos uh, are linked out there every week. Uh, if they have any kind of a podcast uh, viewer uh, download it on their phone. <clears throat> All they have to do is punch in Fusion Underground. We come up. We're the top one there. Um, they can download and start listening to us. Um, we love it, and we love to hear from you. You can send us emails at contact at fusionunderground.net. That's contact at fusionunderground.net. Um, yeah, so uh, spread the word. We'd love to have, uh, love to see you um, you know, love to see everybody. And again, you know, here, I'm already screwing up my overall. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's so funny. I'm trying to do all of this, all of this stuff. And I normally have Jason on on the line being able to carry some of the weight. And unfortunately, I had to carry it all this week. So I think I should, I think I deserve a, a raise of some kind there. Um, although he would tell me that I don't get paid for this, but uh, that's true. I don't get paid for it. But anyway, um, it was a it was a pleasure being here I, again. I didn't like doing it without Jason, but we wanted to keep the show going because we already missed last week. Um, hopefully, we'll we should both be back by next week. Hopefully, by then he's done salad shooting. As always, everybody, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Fusion Underground. Peace. Word late.